0: Texting me. Don't you know I'm recording a podcast? Who is it? My sister. Saying, like, hmm, weird.
1: So I put $50 on Antonio Brown to be the Super Bowl MVP because I think it's funny. And um, if he wins, I get three grand. So I'm like, that's worth $50 that's good for, a for me. the entertainment of yeah. every time he catches the ball, freaking the fuck out. <laughs> okay. Sports gambling is legal in Michigan, baby. Are we ready? So I can place bets at work on the toilet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hello and welcome to We the Sheeple, your bi weekly podcast guide into the wild and wacky world of conspiracy theories and misinformation. I'm your host, Trent Jones. And with me always, my co host, Tom McVeigh. Take it to the moon, baby. To the moon! And also with us, as always, as always. Is our silent but definitely, definitely real dungeon troll, uh, grounding grand wizard or whatever we called him, uh, Devin. Definitely real. Oh, he's the producer too. I don't right. know if I actually put his real title in there.
1: He uh, he seems a lot more sedate since we fed him that bucket of like fish cuts.
0: So, he, people, we know it sounds cruel. We've tried to feed him normal human food, and every time he says no. Give me the fish guts. And by that, I mean he just kind of growls in this guttural way and will only eat the fish guts. So that's how we know. Um, but, you know, everybody needs a producer. All right, Tom. How are, how are you today?
1: How um, are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. I got my, uh, my beanie on with my upside down PBR logo. Um, <laughs> he does. He does have this on his head. You know, it's
0: it's cold out, not a big fan of that, but... It's very cold outside, very cold here today. Yeah, I think I'm good. I think we're hit, gonna hit, we're gonna be in like the low single digits Fahrenheit and then potentially the wind chills less than that, I think. I think,
1: or I know, I saw yesterday, um, it was the highest temperature we're gonna have for a week, and mind you, that was like 19. <laughs> yeah. Not so, Celsius.
0: A little nippy here. Just a little bit. So you know, this is kind of a nice segue. So all right. Here's we're gonna start with a little story time. Tom. I love stories. Okay. Trent. Imagine the year is nineteen fifty nine. You is with this me so
1: far? With or without phantom time.
0: This is normal this is plebeian time, meaning But the, those us of us that don't understand that the phantom time is the real time. So the year is nineteen fifty nine. You're a student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, deep in the Soviet Union. Go fighting bears. Go fighting bears, probably. <laughs> Go hammer and sickle, as all of the um, all of the mascots in Soviet Russia. I can imagine <laughs> were the hammer and sickle. You watch Comrade Elmo as a youngster. A fellow student of yours. I'm gonna butcher this name, Igor Dyatlov. 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 D y a t l o v. Yes. That asks if you'd be interested in coming on a skiing and hiking expedition across the northern Ural Mountains that he's organizing. I would love nothing more, Igor. Ooh. He's in. He's in. As an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience, you're thrilled to go. You're just, you're clambering. You're loving it. And not least of all, because upon completion of this trip, you'd be granted grade three certification which is the highest level of certification available in the Soviet Union.
1: Dude, sidebar real quick. Is there anything more Soviet Russia than having hiking grades?
0: No, no. I thought this when, when I was, like, researching this because... And we'll get there. So, in short order, you hear that your group's... The the proposed route that your group has, uh, has proposed has been approved by the Sverd, Sverdlovsk... City Route Commission, a division of the Sverdlovsk Committee of Physical Culture and Sport. Physical culture—that's funny. And the fact that the singular sport also very. <laughs> sport,
1: very Soviet.
0: Sport. Ooh, a six from the Russian judge. Um, <laughs> so on January twenty-third, nineteen fifty-nine, you receive your route book which describes all of the different, the route you're going to be taking and all the details. And you depart by train for Sverdlovsk City. It's the last time that you will ever set foot on campus. Is it because of my new career as a grade three hiker? No. Unfortunately, Tom, it is not. So what we're going to be talking about today is the Datlov Pass incident. Hmm. Incident. Yes. So, as I was kind of describing through my little my little narrative, um, there was a total of nine students from Ural Polytechnical Institute, which is, when I looked it up today, the current name is different, but it still exists in Russia today, and it's one of the largest uh, technical schools in Russia. Hmm. Um, so, a group of nine students led by Igor Datalov, which the pass was later renamed for um they all left on this hiking and skiing expedition and then never returned so then eventually um search and rescue organizations went out there and found that they had all perished kind of mysteriously which is a bummer you know when you would first hear that you'd go oh that's sad but they were also going on a hike in very extreme climates and you know the dead of winter sad stuff but the really bizarre part about this is that there's some there's some circumstances surrounding their deaths that make it suspicious that make it unexplainable even mysterious Hmm. um so
1: go ahead say it sounds like a great thing for a conspiracy theory podcast to take on
0: yes so it's given rise to a lot of conspiracies and theories trying to explain what happened which we'll come to later but first i want to give you a little bit of a timeline of events and then we'll get into the description of what actually the site and what actually happened so timeline of events we already covered on january 23rd you leave the town where your campus your university is um and you depart by train for Sverdlovsk. um
1: your russian is impeccable (laughs) impeccable
0: um So January 25th, then, the group arrives by train in Ivedel, a town in the northern province of Sverdlovsk Oblast. (laughs) It doesn't get better. All of these (laughs) names are just hideous. Um, They then took a truck to Vizhai, the last inhabited settlement on the way to where they were going. Um, I think they lit what?
1: I think I would like to officially endorse not knowing how to pronounce the names of foreign things. <laughs> okay. The, the Sheeple podcast. We
0: will officially endorse bad Russian on this. Bad and German. Poor, oh, poor German Just and poor Russian language pronunciations. Sorry. Well, we have to cover the other languages first to oh, be sure. bad at pronouncing them.
1: We endorse not learning how to pronounce things before we say them.
0: Yes. We'll start small. We'll start small. Um, yes. So they then took a truck... And I think when I read it, they literally just like it was like a semi, like a lorry, a transport truck. Kind of weird. I don't know if that's a normal thing to do in 1960s Soviet Russia. I thought but, a
1: lorry was like a cab in England or something.
0: No, lorry is like the what they call like a semi truck. Oh, really? I think they're they might be smaller than like what the Americans standard about is, half but 40s? maybe I don't know. Okay, Sorry. But that's what they call them, regardless. Right. Um, Today I learned. The more you know. Um, so they then took a truck to this Vizhai, like I said, the last inhabited settlement on the way, they stayed overnight for, I think it's two nights here, and they (laughs) the entry makes specific note of this, that they purchased bread and ate of it that night to I guess carbo-load before they went off on their (laughs) adventure which I thought was really funny that the article went through the trouble of uh, the article went through the trouble of calling that out So then January 27th, the group begins their trek um, as planned. Then January 28th, one of the members of the group, Yuri Yudin. That's a great name. Yeah, it's a pretty great name. He turned back um, due to some underlying health conditions that were giving him knee pain. So he also had rheumatism and a congenital heart defect.
1: You know what they say you can't become a grade three hiker if you can't play
0: through the pain. It's true. Da. 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 Yeah. So this one member of the group turned back, um, and basically he told the group like, "Hey, send me a message when you finish," because obviously they're out in the middle of nowhere. It's they can't really communicate with anybody. Um, so then. So then the we skip a we skip a beat we come to February twelfth that's actually my birthday. Dude, um, January twenty third was my birthday. Whoa, <gasps> we're involved somehow. How deep does it go? How deep does it go? We're in on it, and we we didn't know until now. <laughs> um, so February twelfth, there's that big gap in there. Um, this was the expected return date for the group, but there was no response, which didn't initially raise any concern because that kind of happens with these hiking expeditions sometimes you just it takes longer than you think it's going to um then we jump eight days later to february 20th this is when family members of the group start to become alarmed and start calling for a rescue expedition to start um so soon thereafter a volunteer search group start and then a little bit after that the military gets involved for like an official search and rescue with like helicopters and such um So then, February 26th, so six days after the family's call for the searches to start, the group's abandoned tent was found on a mountain or slope called... uh, Here we go with another (laughs) Russian name. Kolot Sayaki? Sayaki? Something like that. Which, it's kind of... When you read it, it's like translated roughly into Russian... Because it comes from a native language that's not Russian to the native people in the area. Basically, it is Death Mountain. But they don't mean necessarily that, like, people die on there. They just mean there's no animals there. There's no game Ah, there. So it's like... Like devoid of life. Yes, devoid of life mountain. A little less catchy. Um, And there were some things about the campsite that were rather odd. First, the tent was severely damaged and covered in snow. But it appeared to have been cut open from the inside. um, And curiously, it was totally empty. None of the group members were there. But all of their shoes and other belongings were still inside. Pretty much completely intact. Nothing was really taken from from inside. A lot of their belongings were just there and intact.
1: The shoes is weird.
0: (laughs) The shoes is weird. It keeps getting weirder. So then nine sets of footprints led away from the campsite down... The slope of the mountain towards the edge of, like, a nearby wood uh, with some trees.
1: Were there nine hikers? Is that the number? Yes. Okay. As yes. I was say, because if it's eight, then it's getting weird.
0: And suspiciously, most of these footprints looked like they were, at most had one shoe. Most of them looked to have been shoeless or in socks or something like that. And keep in mind, this is, like, sub-zero winter in the middle. Like, that's a horrible, beyond horrible idea. Like, you would get frostbite and hypothermia very quickly that was the campsite then investigators found the remains of a small fire were found in this wooded area at the end of the footprints about um one and a half kilometers away which i think is like half a mile quarter of a mile it's something like a like mile that.
1: i thought kilometers were 1600 meters is a mile
0: oh so it's almost exactly a mile then. yeah too short cool um so then about a mile or a kilometer and a half away from the campsite, um, they found the remains of a small fire in this little, on the edge of this little wooded area. And this is where they found the first bodies. Okay. Uh, so around the fire, they found two bodies dressed only in their underwear. Weird. And they Stringler. didn't really... Yeah. <laughs> um, then they found the next three bodies... They kind of retraced the steps between the campsite and like a, drawing a straight line between that little fire and the campsite. Mm-hmm. And they found three of the other bodies. Um, and they were at differing intervals between the campsite. And apparently, the poses of the corpses suggested they were attempting to return to the tent. Mm-hmm. Um, so then a bunch of time passes. And I believe they had to wait out like the snowy season, basically, to be able to find the rest of the, the rest of the bodies. So then the remaining four bodies. So they found five at first, right. then they found four later on. They found them um, under four meters of snow, in a ravine about seventy-five meters further into the woods from where they found the that fire. Seventy-five
1: meters. Yes, so that's not very far. Actually. Not very far. Okay.
0: Um, three of Three of the four of these individuals were better dressed than the others and appeared to have scrounged clothes from some of the other students, suggesting that the other students died before, and they were just kind of trying to stay warm. Um, So then here's... That's the investigation. That's all what they found, and here are some other tertiary facts kind of about what the investigators found. Six of the group members were found to have died of her- hypothermia. Three of the, the rest of the three were found to have died from severe fatal injuries, basically. So several of the other members, I think, had injuries that were not fatal and ended up dying of hypothermia. But three of them had um, injuries that were deemed to have been fatal.
1: Did they say what kind of injuries?
0: So I can find specifically, I think i call them out for you, but I know one had, I think one was a traumatic head injury. Okay. One had like a crust, like chest, yeah, sternum. But basically all of these injuries were suggesting that an extreme amount of force, like on par with a car crash. Hmm. Um, That's what one of the uh, experts say. Um, There were no indications of other people on this mountain apart from the Nine Travelers. So there were no footprints, no nothing. They had no indication that other people were in the area. Um, Like I said, the tent had been ripped open from the inside. Um, The victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal, which I feel like kind of implies it was in the middle of the night, right? Because, Yeah. yeah, you would eat and then probably go to bed soon after there. Traces from the camp showed that all the group members left the campsite of their own accord on foot. Like we were talking about, there were the nine footprints that led away,
1: drug away or anything. Correct.
0: Um, Some levels of radiation were found on one of the victims' clothing. Hmm. Then, like I was talking about before, um, the fatal injuries of the three could not have been, were deemed to have been impossible to have been caused by human beings, because, and this is a quote. Because the force of the blows had been too strong and no soft tissue damage, uh, no soft tissue had been damaged. So they had really severe injuries, but no soft tissue damage on top of it. Can you? So you worked a little bit in medical, right? Yeah, for a minute. Would you be able to explain why that's weird?
1: I mean, not from like a medical perspective. (laughs) I'm just thinking, you know, how do you get hit hard enough to like crush your chest in, but not have like damage to your muscles or bruising. Right, right. That's weird. Yeah, just odd. Radiation.
0: Yeah. So obviously there were no survivors, which is kind of weird of any incident like that. Um, And so at the time, the official conclusion was that the group members had died because of quote, compelling natural force.
1: Well, I think Um, we can stop the episode because you (laughs) always trust official Soviet sources.
0: Uh, The The inquest officially ended, the investigation officially ended May 1959 as a result of the absence of a guilty party, and then the files were said to have been sent to a secret archive, which, like you said, and from everything I could tell about this, it was kind of in typical Soviet fashion where the information was held very close to the chest Mm -hmm. and perhaps made things seem even weirder, right? Right. Right. Which, that's not necessarily abnormal for an invest investigation. You keep a lot of the information hidden because if somebody did do something, you know, bad, you would not want to give up, put all your cards on the table, you know?
1: Gotta build that case.
0: So, Tom, what do you think could have happened to these individuals? You know, it's <laughs> a great question. it is a great question. I'm gonna go with, um, aliens. Aliens? Mmm, yep. spicy, spicy. Well... We're going to find out, but first, we're going to take a trip to the, what did we call it? The shilling hour. I think that's what we're going with. Is that (laughs) what we're going with? It's what we're going with for now. Okay. It is what we're calling it now. Back from the the shilling hour has concluded. Riveting. I mean, All I mean, right, I mean, Tom. Stuff. So where did we leave off? We left off with you giving me your theory of what you thought might have happened to these poor individuals.
1: I would like to edit it. Um,
0: it's now aliens, but with the guy from H Aliens. Oh, with hands. the hand aliens.
1: motion. Aliens. So.
0: Okay. That's very important.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So let's let's get into some of the explanations that people have posited throughout the years. Um, of What might have happened to these poor individuals? Some more reasonable than others, but we'll get into it. Lay on me, man. I'm excited. The first is um, an attack by the local Mansi people. So the Mansi people are the indigenous group to the area that still kind of is known to inhabit that area sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the coolest part about them is that they are reindeer herders.
1: That's nifty.
0: I did not make that up. That is real. <laughs> they are Santa's suppliers. Um, confirmed. You heard it at her first. Um, so, basically, they theorized that this group, for whatever reason, was upset with these people being in the area, and they came in and attacked them. Um, There's several issues with this theory. The main ones being... Um, The nature of the injuries as we talked about were so severe that it would have had to have been a tremendous amount of force which is would be impossible for a human to exert Mm -hmm. um and there's just an overall lack of evidence like showing others yeah tracking showing others in the area at the time
1: reindeer prints
0: yeah there's no reindeer they fly that's how they did it the (sighs) reindeer fly
1: santa's in on it
0: they flew high enough they dropped an anvil like in a cartoon on these people. Dude, we're so good at this. We're so good at this. Why didn't they hire us in nineteen fifty or yeah, nineteen fifty nine. Missed out. Greatest minds of our generation. I keep saying it. If you knew this Putin, let us know. If you I don't know if I want to make that declaration. <laughs> um The next explanation that people have posited is an avalanche. Um avalanche. They were on a mountainside in very snowy terrain, so this seems like a pretty reasonable explanation um but there are some main issues with this and these are the reasons why people did not accept that that was what happened at the time so the location didn't have any obvious signs that you would normally expect to see when an avalanche happens so avalanches leave a lot of debris over a wide area typically um and even the bodies found months after the event um had very little snow, or I should say, the ones that they found soon after the event had very little snow cover on right. them. I um, find it hard to believe that there would be an avalanche that would kill them, but
1: not bury them or their footprints.
0: Right. And that's, that's another issue with the theory, is that they're in very shallow snow. If the avalanche had been sufficient enough strength to sweep away the, the second group of them that ended in the ravine, the body. Why wouldn't the first group of people have been swept away as well?
1: It's like laser targeted. Yeah,
0: it doesn't really make aliens. There's issues with it for sure. Then, over a hundred expeditions to the region uh, have been held since the incident, and none of them have ever reported conditions that might create an avalanche. Hmm. Um, an analysis of the terrain and the slope at the time concluded that there was very little. It would have had to have been a extremely one-in-a-million specific avalanche um, that found its way into the area, and the projected path that they would expect the avalanche to have followed would have missed the site where they expected the tent to have been. Um, they also guesstimated, based on what they knew of the topography at the time, that the conditions just weren't right, like the slope wasn't... I guess there's like a... A rule of thumb you use to try to determine that and the slope simply isn't steep enough in that area.
1: Probably through like the slope and like the soil type and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what else? Um, both Dadalov, the leader, and there was a much older person that I don't think... I don't know if he was studying at the same school as them or if he... I remember one of the people was supposed to have gone on a different expedition but wasn't able to go on that one for whatever reason so he joined up with them and he was much older and very experienced he was actually studying for his master's certificate in ski instruction and mountain hiking a very very Russian uh, discipline for sure Um, and they basically concluded that if these men were very well trained they would have known not to build in the path of where an avalanche could happen Um, so it makes it pretty unlikely and then lastly the footprints leading away from the tent were inconsistent with somebody like running away from danger they were more of somebody walking very deliberately away from where they were Um, then okay so that's a pretty reasonable explanation I think but again a lot of issues with that sounds like what they want us to think yeah then, the next uh, the next explanation that people have posited, slightly less uh, grounded, Yetis. Why did I guess Yetis? Why didn't you guess Yetis, you idiot? <sighs> right. Um, you think about it. There are some reasons why people went there: snowy terrain. Um, yetis love the snow. And even geographically, not just because it's a snowy terrain, but it's connected at least via landmass to the area where this legend. Uh, yeah. Originates in the Himalayas. Um, And another reason people think about that a lot is because of the savage nature of the injuries. Um, You know, like we were talking about, sufficient with, on par with like a car crash, the injuries couldn't have been caused by a person. But a giant snow monster with big ape fists. I mean, gorillas
1: are pretty strong, and I assume yeah. yetis are even more powerful because yeah. um science.
0: Yeah, when you strike down a gorilla, it comes back as a yeti more powerful than ever.
1: A Harambe? <laughs> yeah,
0: Harambe's a yeti now. You just have to find him. It's like you're um, all
1: going to the farm upstate. Yeah. Your
0: gorilla yeah. goes to
1: its place in the Himalayas.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> or the Urals, I guess. Um, and, suspiciously, the group had been kind of writing in like a group journal kind of and they made mention of snowmen and they said snowmen are real basically was kind of what they were saying um
1: dude i wish yeti's were real
0: and they were they were this was like the group writing of their adventures on the on right. the road so people think that maybe they saw yeti's and the yeti's came down and smashed you know i would Normally,
1: try to be the skeptic here, and um, I want this to be true, so I'm gonna ignore the lack of yeti prints. <laughs> they clearly took a broom or something, a yeti broom, and they had
0: snowshoes. Yeah, walked above the snow. It's yetis, dude. I'm in. They had a ring of water walking. <laughs> um, Would well, that work on snow? I think it does, based on the rules. I think it might be a DM discretion thing. I don't know. This has been Tomatrons DM Corner. Yeah. <laughs> DM corner. <laughs> um, okay. So that's perhaps a less reasonable uh, explanation Speak for, for what yourself. happened. Speak um, The only explanation. One other piece of explanation that people posit is what is called a catabatic wind. Ooh. Um, which a katabatic wind, as best as I understand them, is that they are somewhat rare events that cause an extremely violent wind to like kind of push down the slope of the mountain and they can sometimes carry like uh, snow with them and they're just kind of driven and cause these like really severe winds. Um, and so apparently the topography of the area is similar to a different place where this is known to have happened. Um, and then a sudden catabatic wind... Uh, would have made it impossible to remain in the tent. The most rational course of action would have been for the hikers to cover the tent with snow and seek shelter behind the tree line um, and then try to come back later when that ended. But the shoes... The shoes. It is still weird that if you were going to leave the tent and come back, it's bizarre that you wouldn't have brought all the gear you needed and clothed yourself appropriately. And then... Another piece that fits into this as why some of the hikers had um the severe injuries is that they constructed what are known as biovoc shelters bivouac i think it's yeah best. bivouac which i think just means you like dig out a certain area in the snow right yeah it's just like a thing you do in like mountain climbing i'm pretty sure and so they're suggesting that perhaps that caused one of these shelters to collapse and buried um four of them with the pretty severe injuries um, so that's one theory. Um. I believe, um,
1: yetis have a conch shell type thing. <laughs> Woo! Where they can call these winds, so yetis are still on the board, y'all.
0: And they're, they're actually, yetis actually rule in Lord of the Flies. I don't know if you know that. The I do not. Yeah. That's a literary joke.
1: I'd have never read it, but I trust you that it was funny.
0: So it's this kind of weird book where these kids a group of like school-aged kids get marooned on an island and kind of like create their own system of like organization and for whatever reason they decide that the person who's holding a conch shell is the person that's supposed to be in charge at that time or is speaking (laughs) it's kind of like the when you're in a group with little kids and you have like the stuffed animal that's like gives them permission to talk you know what i'm talking about
1: Uh, yeah vaguely
0: it's kind of like that interesting yeah um it's an interesting book about human nature but anyway um so then another hypothesis popularized by um donny l iachar's 2013 book dead mountain is that wind going around this mountain created a some sort of a vortex which can produce infrasound capable of inducing panic in humans that doesn't sound real. According to this theory, the infrasound generated by the wind as it passed over the top of the mountain was responsible for causing physical discomfort and mental distress in the hikers. Um, he claims that because of their panic, the hikers were driven to leave the tent by whatever means necessary, hence not getting fully geared up before, fled down the slope. By the time they were driven down farther down the hill... Uh, they would have been out of the infrasound's path, would have regained their composure, but they were already in the dark with poor visibility, um, super cold, and wouldn't have been able to get into their, uh, get back to the tent. And he explains that the, he explains that the traumatic injuries suffered by three of the victims were the result of them stumbling over the edge of a ravine in the darkness and landing on the rocks at the bottom. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I would feel, if you felt like that, you would probably get the external injuries.
1: I would kind of so to you, but I'm not a medical expert.
0: Um, I'm saying that as if that's the biggest issue with this right? particular theory. <laughs> uh, counterpoint, you know
1: what else would cause you to flee in panic? What? Yetis.
0: Yetis would cause you to flee in panic. That's true, that's true. Um, but yeah, this is obviously a pretty wild... <laughs> I don't even know that this phenomena is possible, or if this dude just kind of made it up. Odds are, he probably made it up. All it makes me think of is, like, I believe it's a South Park episode,
1: where they discover the brown note, which makes you poop your pants. That's really all I'm thinking <laughs> right now, man.
0: <laughs> but they actually have, like, mil- the military and, like, police departments have those devices that are, like, crowd dispersal, right? Yeah. That just do, like, super unpleasant, ultrasonic. Like dog whistles, but for people. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Not the racist thing that is also used by police departments. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oof,
0: we're we're into less uh, conspiracy territory on that one, and more uh, spicy, spicy, uncomfortable, real uh, things in our culture. Back to your regularly scheduled Yeti podcast. Yeah, infrasound is much funnier. Um, so then we got another. Um, the next kind of theory is that there were military tests going on Ooh. you know Soviet Union Cold War da da. um so in one speculation the campsite fell within the path of a Soviet parachute mine exercise
1: parachute mine yes that's dope
0: I'm not exactly sure what, what that even means.
1: I think they put a, mine out, a parachute out of mine and dropped it out of a plane. Oh, there
0: you go. For <laughs> sure. That's what it means. Uh, this theory alleges that the hikers, woken by loud explosions, fled the tent in a shoeless panic. Analog drones. And found themselves unable to return, kind of like we were talking about, right. for supply retrieval. After some members froze to death attempting to endure the bombardment, others commandeered their clothing only to be fatally injured by subsequent parachute mine concussions. Um, There indeed are records of parachute mines being tested by the Soviet military. It seems like a pretty simple concept. You can just blanket an entire area with mines, you know. Right. Pretty effectively. Um Parachute mines detonate while still in the air, rather than uh, striking the earth's surface, and produce signature injuries similar to those experienced by the hikers. Like a
1: concussive force, kind of
0: thing. Right, so that kind of makes sense. You would get the concussive blast wouldn't necessarily bruise you. I don't think it would just be enough to cause internal damage. Yeah. Um,
1: That would also explain their uh, hesitancy to release any information about the. uh,
0: That's true. Da. Da secret um and these kind of tests or uses generally coincide with um some reports from hikers in the area at the time they were on like a somewhere else in the mountain range Mm -hmm. um they reported seeing uh sightings of glowing orange floating orbs or falling from the sky um within the general vicinity like i talked about and allegedly photographed by them um and another interesting point that kind of supports that this was at least happening in the area at the time is that the Soviet government and the investigators ordered that these accounts of the glowing orbs in the sky were not reported or included in the uh, publicly available information at the time. So, suspicious. Suspicious. And some suggest, some people speculate that this is all a cover up. And that, um, the bodies were unnaturally manipulated, um, hmm. to cover up the fact that they were burned and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I kind of actually buy that one. Mm-hmm. And then some photographs, I guess, people say that the tent was allegedly erected incorrectly, which these experienced hikers would not have done. Mm-hmm. Um then a, a similar theory uh, alleges the same thing, but with radiological weapons. Um, like we said, the one person had radioactive material on some right. of their garments.
1: I feel like if they used a radioactive weapon, there'd be a lot more uh, mm-hmm.
0: contamination around the site, though. And apparently some people who were at the funerals described the bodies uh, of having kind of like an orange skin and gray hair. Hmm which i guess is consistent with radioactivity i, I mean know.
1: it also could just be like the sun
0: <laughs> and the cold yeah mummification um and that's kind of what this goes on to say is that that's pretty easily explained by the cold conditions and being out in the weather Owings. for months yeah mummification Um. Again, people allege that it's a Soviet USSR cover-up, um, but, you know, there's there's little hard evidence to that, which, granted, if it was a cover-up, there wouldn't be a whole lot of hard evidence, I don't think, but mm-hmm. still. Um, so those are, those kind of run the gamut of the the main theories that people have. Um, so then, this, this event is kind of like a pop culture phenomenon. Right, so it's very much in the Russian sidegeist of, like, all the thing of, like, a popular event that people just know about, you know? And it's, like, a mystery and a tragedy. Um, But it's also made the rounds in Western culture as well. Um, I, I know I've seen one of the things on either, like, Discovery or History Channel of some thing where they were trying to frame it as if yetis attacked them.
1: Yeah, definitely, when you started this episode, like... It rang a bell in my head. I knew a couple things about it, but not mm-hmm. to the extent with which we have, uh,
0: for sure, went into it. Yeah, so let's run through some of these uh, these pop culture things that actually happen. Uh, popular interest in Russia was revived in the nineteen nineties, in wake of Anatoly Gershtens' nineteen ninety novel, "The Prince of State Secrets," is nine lives, or the pr- sorry, the price of state secrets is nine lives. Makes a little more sense grammatically. Yes, uh, contextually. Um, then in uh, two, the year 2000, a regional television company produced a documentary film with a follow-up journal-style novella based on a <laughs> fictionalized account of the incident released in 2005. We Neat. should
1: buy all the used copies of that. Yes, we, we must find
0: store. them. Um, in uh, 2015, Russian band... Kaunin, Kaunin, maybe, released an album, Sorny Nye, which attempts to reconstruct the events that led up to the incident. What a weird, what genre do you think this band is? Russian folk, it has to be. Referee I'm getting folk. big,
1: like, Gordon Lightyear, Lightyear, Lightfoot, whatever, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald.
0: Alright, I did not look this up, <laughs> I did not look this up, uh, post- you ready for this? I'm ready. An atmospheric doom metal slash post rock band.
1: Incredible. Fun. Atmospheric thing. doom metal <laughs> from Dead Mountain. <laughs>
0: uh, so that's them. That's what they're up to. Um,
1: very different than Russian folk.
0: Then there's a there was a 2013 film called. The of Pass Incident, a.k.a. Devil's Pass, a film directed by Rennie Harlan, um, it was released in Russia and also later in the U.S. Hmm. And it follows five American students retracing the steps of the victims, but being, but being a work of fiction makes several changes to the actual events, all this kind of stuff. Um, then there's another novel... There's a few more novels, random other episodes of TV. Oh, here we go. This is what we were talking about. In 2014, the Discovery Channel special Russian Yeti, The Killer Lives, <laughs> <laughs> purported to examine the incident in relation to the myth of the Yeti. Um,
1: Dude, I'm still pissed that the guy who was going to get ate alive by a snake on Discovery Channel didn't actually.
0: What? That's a thing?
1: Yeah, they had a show where they like built him, like a suit or something so he wouldn't die. But then they're like, yeah, we're not going to do this. It would be bad for the snake.
0: <laughs> no kidding. That would have been so cool. Right? I mean, not actually cool, just like ironically cool. But um, then in 2015, there's a Polish horror game called Kolot, <laughs> which I guess is inspired by this event. Um, and you kind of retrace the steps and, I don't know, you're... You're investigating to uncover the true cause of the hikers' deaths. Um, then in 2020, there's an eight-episode Russian TV series called Dead Mountain, which kind of digs back in. Yeah, um, so
1: pretty uh, pretty big staying power for something that happened, what, 60 years ago?
0: Yeah, it just keeps coming up. Um, so then, here's what I want to get to. The whole reason that I found out about this, I had already kind of known about this event, right. but... I thought about it and wanted to do an episode on it based on some new um, findings that were written about in the recent weeks here. I came across... I think I first came across an article from National Geographic, but there's a ton of different science publications that have done mm-hmm. kind of recaps of this. So this new study was authored by... I assume it's Johann Gaum, head of the Snow and Avalanche Simulation Laboratory, at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, and it was co-authored by Alexander M. Puzrin, a geotechnical engineer at the E H or E T H Zurich, um, which I guess is a university. Um, and this study proposes that a slab avalanche could be a plausible explanation for the incident.
1: The fact that they didn't call it a slab avalanche a huge miss. You slab.
0: Um so Tom, you might be wondering, what's a slab avalanche?
1: I was literally about to ask you what's a slab avalanche.
0: A slab avalanche. Uh well good, because they're going to tell you. Oh, um yeah. so I think this place was called like avalanche.com or something, but nice. it was basically yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so a slab avalanche, I'm going to just read this verbatim from what they wrote for a little bit. If you're looking for the killer, then this is your man. This is the white death, the snowy torrent. The big guy in the white suit. Dry slab avalanches account for nearly all avalanche deaths in North America. Sl- which this was not in North America, but still. A slab is a cohesive plate of snow that slides as a unit under uh, on the snow underneath. Picture tipping the living room table up on edge and a magazine slides off the table. Now picture you standing in the middle of uh, the magazine. So the crack forms up above you, and there and there you are. There's usually no escape, and you're off for the ride of your life. Oh, it's like surfing on an avalanche. Kind of. Um, so they said typically they range in size for they're like half a football field wide. Okay. So, I mean large, but I nah. suppose on a scale of a natural disaster, pretty small. Um, and they range from about a foot to three feet deep. Okay. Um, and they said they can quickly accelerate reaching speeds of 80 miles an hour in the first six seconds after breaking away. So it's like, imagine how much weight that is. So like half a football field worth of snow hurtling downhill at 80 miles an hour.
1: It's horrifying.
0: Yeah, it's like being hit by a Mack truck, quite literally. Um... And so here's kind of the methodology that they used to try to come to this conclusion. So they tried to recreate the conditions that night as accurately as possible. Then with all this data that they gathered, they tried to create a detailed simulation that they could use to kind of figure out what might have happened. Um, And they were, (laughs) this is a really cool side note, they were actually able to leverage some snow simulation software that was developed for disney's frozen like believe it or not isn't that wild that for like the animation software they developed something that was accurate enough to make its way into a simulation darn nerds isn't that cool um and then another really weird piece of data is they leveraged data that was collected by gm during some cadaver tests in the 1970s that basically put cadavers through a bunch of different impacts to see what would happen this is like before we had crash test dummies or something, or I just I or just
1: better. I assume
0: that. it's just because you wanted the data on a real, a real cadaver, I guess. Um, so they used rolled in some of this data to try and estimate the type of impacts that would be needed to to recreate the injuries that the uh, individuals sustained. <laughs> um, and so here are some of their conclusions. One of their conclusions is that reviewing the local Topography. they discovered that the slope was actually quite a bit steeper than people thought at the time, and that was because I think there was more of a snowpack underneath. Um, So people just didn't realize that the slope was much steeper than it appeared. Which, if you remember, that was one of the main reasons people said that an avalanche probably couldn't happen in that area as the topography just wasn't right. Um, Their model showed that it was possible for heavy blocks of snow... Uh, to cause the type of crushing injuries that were seen in these victims um even though that that's typically not the type of injuries that you see in avalanches typically you die from asphyxiation because you get trapped under the snow right um and that also explains um why there weren't surface injuries because apparently when you're under a really high pressure impact like that um it can cause these types of crushing injuries that don't cause, like, trauma to the mm. soft tissue on top, I, I guess. That's what I'll I'm told. yeah told.
1: They have a simulation. I don't.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, trying to answer one of the other pieces of the puzzle as to why some of these individuals had, like, no clothes on. Oh,
1: I was hoping we'd have an answer for yeah. this. Yeah.
0: So, and you kind of touched on this before. There's this phenomena called paradoxical undressing. And so... It's witnessed in apparently about 25% of hypothermia. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's severe hypothermia cases or specifically deaths, but it's theorized that it's this weird phenomena where people were victims of extreme hypothermia undressed in like the last basically their last moments before they
1: die. They're just like delirious and like, this is what will fix this.
0: Yeah, so they say that it's thought to be kind of the result of a combination of this confusion that kind of happens associated with extreme hypothermia and then some sort of like misfiring in the hypothalamus which can make you perceive yourself as being extremely hot rather than extremely cold. Hmm. Um, So that's kind of what they theorize happens. But yeah, it's a thing that happens apparently.
1: It's like... I wonder if it's similar to how, like, if you're outside when it's very cold, like today, and you even, like, run cold water on your hand, it hurts and it feels super hot. Yeah. You know, I wonder if it's a similar misfiring just on, like, a body-wide scale.
0: And I remember, and I think it was in a psych class I took at some point, they were kind of talking about how you sense things, Mm -hmm. and apparently you can mess with the temperature sensors in your hand if you have, like, these two tubes of water that are kind of, like, intertwined and you circulate, in one of them you circulate pretty cold water and I think in the other one you circulate, like, loop lukewarm water. If you, like, touch it, you're, it feels extremely hot. Like, you perceive it as being extremely hot because you're so, you're, it, for whatever reason it fires your neurons such, or your right. sensors in such a way that your brain, like, misinterprets mm-hmm. it. Fun, tangent side note, right? Pretty cool. This is what we think is interesting. Well, that's about all I got for you. That that recent piece of investigation, I think, provides a pretty plausible explanation. There's still some question marks, but
1: I mean, you say reasonable explanation. I say paid off by
0: Big Yeti to keep the Big Yeti, it's Big secret,
1: Yeti.
0: But- <gasps> is Yeti tied? Is Yeti thermal products like camping gear all tied up in this whole thing? Wake up, Sheeple. And with that, I think that's about all all we've got for this week. That's, um, that's all I've got. Thank you guys so much for listening to uh, this episode of We the Sheeple. Um, we appreciate you guys listening so much. Tom and I have a lot of fun doing this, but it wouldn't be a whole lot of fun if nobody listened. Um, so we thank you for that. Um, please like, subscribe, rate us on any of your podcasting... Your, I think they call them pod slingers, is the term that's thrown around. Okay. Um, whatever, wherever you listen to this podcast, please, like we said, like subscribe, um, do all of the things that you can do. Um, they'll help us become more visible and help more people listen to our podcast. Yeah.
1: Um, tell all your friends about us. It's huge. That's a big way, word of mouth. Make sure to follow us on
0: Twitter. Um, we the Sheeple Pod. Yes, We the Sheeple Pod. It's pretty lit. Things are happening. That's true. Um, then one last piece of information. Um, if you need to email us for any reason, if you have suggestions for future episodes, if you have comments, stuff we got wrong, um, we do have a Gmail. It is in the... I'm just going to tell you to look it up in the episode description because that's easier than me telling it to you and you mistyping it or but misremembering it. But
1: don't send us complaints about pronunciation because no. we endorse not pronouncing things right.
0: Yes, we have officially uh endorsed mispronunciation of so far german and russian but i'm sure we will add other languages to that as we come for sure all right i think that's about it tom so everybody thank you for listening and wake up sheeple wake up Você e vai